Schmidt, who is uh, the former CEO of Google and its parent company, Alphabet, he once said a few years ago, he said, if I look enough at your messaging and your location and use artificial intelligence, we can predict where you're going to go, where you'll be soon, okay? And that was a very memorable comment. We kind of take that for granted now, but when he said it, it was very, very memorable. Another highlight from Eric Schmidt was, show us 14 photos. Show us 14 photos of yourself, and we can identify who you are. I'm sure that's much less now. But uh, you think you don't have 14 photos of yourself on the Internet, Eric Schmidt said? The original founders, co-founders of uh, Google, Larry Page and Sergey Brim, they were also asked about how much Google actually knows about you. They were asked, what prevents Google from knowing as much about you as you do as you know about yourself? The two founders of Google memorably chuckled and said, oh, Google knows way more about you than you know about yourself. That's kind of terrifying if you think about it. But that's what they said, and they said it very uh, very uh, candidly and out there. Why is this the case? Because based on past experiences, based on the things that you've shared with Google or social media in the past, and by looking at a person's pattern of behavior kind of over the course of time, by looking at the raw data, you can predict with a certain amount of accuracy how a person thinks, how a person may act into the future. You can definitely predict what type of food they like, what they eat, what they buy, what their future purchasing history might be. This is the purpose kind of of social media as well, to kind of track us and get an idea so they can sell us products a little bit better. So past behavior can make an outline, so to speak, of, of who you are, or at least give advertisers a picture of who you seem to be, how you present yourself online. Do you ever use past behavior to know or to maybe predict the future actions of those that you love or that you know? I think we kind of do this with our kids. You know, we know our kids so well and know their responses to things that we kind of have a good idea. If I put them in this situation, they're probably going to respond this way, and and we know how they're going to act. It's part of being a good parent is knowing how they're going to respond with certain stimuli around them. Okay, This is often beneficial with our children, and it's often benefit with our family and, and, and coworkers. And believe it or not, we can actually use kind of this way of thinking when it comes to our relationship with God as well, by seeing his faithfulness, by seeing what he does for us and who he has been for us in the past, we can get a great picture of who he's going to be for us today and what we know about who he's going to be for us in the future as we look at his promises in Scripture. Now, there's an old hymn. It's called Count Your Many Blessings. We sang some hymns this morning, didn't we? I'm going to throw another hymn at us this morning. Uh, It's called Count Your Many Blessings again, and it says, When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. It says, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, 
see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God has done. And he says, are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy that you're called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly and keep you seen as the days go by. When you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessing, your ward is in heaven, not your home on high. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend, help and comfort give you to your journey's end. This hymn is an encouragement for Christians to remember God's past faithfulness in order to ground themselves in truth, in the truth and in the one of whom will be faithful to us into the future. Christians see God's past behavior, His past behavior as the reason, as the ground for why we can trust his future behavior because of what's called his immutability. Okay, that's just a big fancy $6 word for God's unchanging nature, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, that he is the same today, and he is the same forever. God is infinitely, infinitely consistent and perfect in all his attributes. He is infinitely and perfectly consistent in his love, in His kindness, in His graciousness, and in His holiness. He is perfect in all of these things. And He will never change or alter in His character. Because, not because He's unpliable, because He's unmovable, but because Jesus, from beginning to end, from A to Z, from past eternal to future eternal, is absolutely perfect. God's immutability, His unchanging nature, is one of the reasons that we can trust His faithfulness in His Word. Because God is unchangeable and because He is perfect, we can trust what He says in His Word. We can trust when we are His that He will never, ever remove our salvation or alter the terms of having salvation. That when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that has been true, it is true, and it forever will be true. And there's nothing that we can do to alter that truth. So when we are in Jesus, if we have Jesus, it's not dependent on external circumstances or our disappointing actions at times or our missteps, but it's totally dependent on His unchanging nature that when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to me apart from a relationship with the Son, that Absolutely, there's nothing we can do to change that, and God Himself will see it through. And God Himself is the seal of our salvation. That is fantastic knowledge because it's not based on our emotions, it's not based on our feelings, it's based on His unchanging nature. And it's why we can have confidence that if God has saved us in the past, that if we made a decision for Him, a true decision where we truly gave our hearts to Jesus, and we have lived that changed life, that, 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 that when we gave our heart to Jesus, it has impacted our entire lives, that we can sin, yes, and we can fall short sometimes, but Jesus holds us. If we've made a decision in the past, then we can trust 
that we have him in the present and he will forever be there in the future. And he will never remove our salvation. It will be true today. It will be true into the future because it is God alone, that is Jesus alone, who keeps us by his power. If God is immutable and unchangeable, there is a tremendous truth. There's a couple truths, actually, that we can assume about him. Okay, from Scripture, not just our way of thinking, but from Scripture, by looking at God's past behavior and His faithfulness in the past and His faithfulness in the now, we can know who He will be for us into the future. Let's look at a, first, a few of them. The first is God's promises to never leave or forsake us. Let's look at Hebrews 13, 5 together. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It'll be on the screen. It'll also be in your, your copy of God's Word this morning. Hebrews 13.5. The writer of Hebrews gives a very simple uh, encouragement to believers. They say, keep your life free from what? The love of money. And, okay, so he's continuing on with this series of thought. Keep your life free from the love, the passion to chase it, chase money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. There are two promises that sound similar, but they have a little bit of a different nuance in this passage. He promises to never leave, and he also promises never to forsake. If we focus in on the, the word leave really quick, Jesus will never not be in our presence both as believers and non-believers, because Jesus is omnipresent, okay? He is everywhere. Jesus will never not be in our presence, but it's more profound for the believer that Jesus will never leave our hearts, that Jesus will always be present in our heart, Jesus will always be present in our mind, even when we don't feel it, that there's a truth that when Jesus has us, that he will never leave us. And regardless of how we feel, Jesus remains steadfast and faithful and loving to us. He will never leave us. He will never not be in our presence, nor will he never not be, excuse the double negative here, but I think it works. He will never not be a protective, benevolent presence in your life as a believer. He will never cease to be a benevolent and kind presence in your life, nor will he remove your salvation from you, despite, again, external circumstances or feelings. He'll never leave us, but he will also never forsake us. We want to look at forsake, that Jesus will never forget us. He will never sever the relationship between us. He will never abandon our relationship with him. In terms of our relationship with Jesus, he, he is the only one who faithfully keeps his end of the bargain perfectly. Jesus always keeps his promises and keeps his end of the bargain perfectly. When he says he commits to us in Christ, he never leaves us, he never turns his back on us, he never slips up, he never messes up like we do so often. But that's why we have such a tremendous gift, friends, in the grace of Jesus that Jesus is always consistently, perfectly consistently faithful to us when we are oftentimes not faithful to him. And isn't that good to know? 
that I'm not going to lose my salvation every time I sin. Because I know my salvation is not rooted in my own personal goodness or my own personal works or my own personal attainment of some kind of pseudo-perfection, but it's based in Him forever, eternally, past, present, and future. Jesus always holds me and He never, ever drops, drops us. And as redeemed yet fallen humans, we still remain prone to sin. We remain prone to turn our backs on Jesus in subtle ways and sometimes not so subtle ways. And we act in ways that, that aren't reflective of our relationship with Jesus. But it is Jesus who is always faithful, always faithful, and never forsakes us. This dynamic can easily be seen with, with babies, <laughs> in the crib when a parent leaves them in a crib for the night and the baby cries when the when the parent leaves the room those tears aren't because they feel the parent has simply left them they feel they feel forsaken ah you've left me forever but the reality is the parent never really leaves even for the experience of the baby in the crib it thinks and it perceives its environment as the parent leaving but the parent is always there and always caring and always leading that child to where it needs to go. And I think we all have memories, memories of, of a person who may have been in our presence but have forsaken us and who have severed relationships or who have abandoned us perhaps relationally or emotionally or physically or all the above or those who may acknowledge our presence, but not acknowledge your worth or your value. Jesus remaining faithful to us, never forsaking us, and never abandoning us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. Just in that, Jesus affirms to you, and to you, and to you, a very unique thing. By him never leaving you and never forsaking you, he's stating very clearly that you have intrinsic worth. That you have intrinsic value. That Jesus says you're valuable because you know what? You were bought with a what? You were bought with a price. And so Jesus, when he commits to you, he says to us what much of the world would often say the opposite to us. Much of the world would like to convince us we may not be worth much at all, that we don't have a lot of value, that our life's really not worth much at all. But praise the Lord, Jesus says much different. He says you are of great value and you're of great worth. Not just randomly, but he says so intentionally. There's a reason, my friends, that Jesus gives you and grants upon you and bestows upon you and indwells you and empowers you with worth and value because you are made in the image of God. And that changes everything. That regardless of how you feel about yourself, at times, whether you're feeling really great or whether you're feeling down in the dumps, Jesus is the one that defines your value and your worth and your essence. De not dependent on those external things, 
Jesus never leaves me when I'm feeling bad. He never leaves me when I'm feeling great. And the opposite is true. He never, he never forsakes me when I feel bad or that I feel good because of my intrinsic worth and value. Because, friends, we are made, created in His image. And that's a great truth for us to know. And even though leaving and forsaking, they sound similar, they, they have a nuance, don't they? That impacts how we view the presence of God in our lives, both in the here and now and into the future. Not just the future here on earth, but our future, our eternal future. That when God promised us that He would never, ever forsake us, it means for eternity. That He may be faithful to us when in this life, but when we get to the pearly gates or... To, to, to eternity, Jesus will never, when we stand before Him, say, no, I'm good. I don't want you here. That if you're in Jesus, He's faithful to us here, and He will be faithful to us 10 billion years into the future, just as much as He is right now. That is fantastic to know. That is a great truth for us to cling to this morning. There will never be a time either on earth, if we're in Christ, there will never be a time on earth or in heaven when God changes His mind or reneges on His commitment to keep you by His power in glory. There will never be a time for this. He will always be faithful because our salvation is totally based upon His character. Jesus promises both proximity, He will never leave us, and He also promises us intimacy. He will never forsake us in that relationship. That when we are in Jesus, he, again, He will never leave or forsake us. Why does the writer of Hebrews connect leaving and forsaking to money, though? Why does the beginning of this passage start talking about money, and then he, he wraps up with this, talking about Jesus never leaving and forsaking us? Now, I think if you read this the first time, you probably keep wondering why you, you know, it keeps saying keeping yourself free from the love of money and contentment are so closely tied to Jesus never leaving and forsaking us. But I think the writer of Hebrews wants believers to be clear about where our confidence lies, where our truth and our trust must remain, not in things, not in money, not in power and status and success, but rather in the sure faithfulness and goodness of Christ alone. It's a reminder that Jesus never leaving us or Jesus never forsaking us is where believers have to. We have to find our trust and confidence here. And it has to be our sole focus of trust. It's an encouragement to trust the presence of and the provision and the purposes of Christ in contrast to our own that are so misguided sometimes. The writer of Hebrews contrasts loving Jesus' faithfulness against our temptation to love money and our tendency that we sometimes can have toward materialism, which has the potential to lead us away from contentment in Him and find sufficiency in stuff, or in ourselves, or in our position. Love of money, and I'm talking about a love of it, where we get our identity, where we get our hope. It's where our greatest joy lies. A love of money often leads to discontentment because it's rooted in the desire for self-preservation by our own strength. 
to be completely autonomous, both materially and spiritually. The love of money, the passion to acquire at all costs, can easily lead, again, to materialism that in turn leads us to trust our own provision, that we are the ones in the driver's seat and have an overconfidence in our own strength, in our own power, in our own abilities. And by looking to Christ's past behavior of faithfulness, we can know who God is for us now and in the future by our second promise, that God promises to never lie. He promises to never lie, be contrary to His character, or fail to fulfill His promises. Let's look at Hebrews 6. Look at Hebrews, just a couple chapters over. In Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 and 20. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 and 20. It'll be on your screen. It says this, the writer of Hebrews says, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which is impossible, right? Hear that? Impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to do what? What are we encouraged to do? Hold fast to the hope that is set right here or where? It said set before us into eternity. The days beyond and into eternity. Verse 19 says, we have this as two things. A sure and then a steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into inner into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone before us as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's look at the, the first promise we have. It says, in which it, it is impossible. It's impossible for God to lie. Now, people say frequently that God can do anything. And we like to say that. You know, we, God can do anything He wants. And I understand that sentiment. And 99 million times out of however many, that's absolutely true. God can be at all places at all times. He can redeem whoever He wants. He can uphold the world without effort. He's all those omni-words. He's omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, etc., etc. Okay? But there... But are there things God cannot do? I would say yes. The most notable being that God cannot act in contradiction to His character. That is something that God cannot do. He cannot act in contradiction to His character. Furthermore, as we saw in Hebrews, it is impossible. God cannot what? Lie. He cannot act in contradiction to His character and He cannot lie. If He did, He would cease to be God or at least cease to be the good God who is worthy of our trust. If you look a little further in that Hebrews passage, it says, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast. This is the reason, the purpose for having the strong encouragement, so that we can hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Again, God's immutability, His unchanging nature, is why this is such a life-giving promise to the church. 
It gives us life. It gives us purpose. It gives us mission. It gives us hope. It gives us solidity. It gives us grounding. Hebrews says it's an anchor. God never, ever, ever violates his character. When we do so often, I do, you do, we all do, but God, praise Jesus, that he's absolutely perfect in his character. So why do we hold fast to Jesus? Well, because he is faithful. Because he is perfectly trustworthy. He is perfect in character. He is perfect in integrity. And he has an integrity that is absolutely unassailable. And we have no reason to doubt this. And we have no reason to doubt this truth will always be the case. Because God is 100% unchanging in all his attributes. In all of his character. He's not just 100% love and maybe 95% kind. Well, he's kind of 70% sovereign, but 99% uh, faithful. That's not the case. Jesus is 100% in all areas. Not only 100%, 100% perfect in how he applies it. God is 100% unchanging in all his character attributes, and his integrity. Let's look at verse 19. It says, we have this as a sure, okay? Positive about it, sure, and then steadfast. It never changes, right? We're, we're good with it. It's perfect. I trust it. And it's steadfast. It never changes. Sure and steadfast. What of the soul, friends? Anchor, right? An anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into Enter peace behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner. Okay, Confidence in God's future behavior and what he will do for us and be for us into the future can be understood or is understood, not just can be, but is understood by God's past behavior, his witness to us in Scripture, his faithfulness to us in Christ, and it's experienced in our lives day to day. But we have something uh, beyond and more tangible than, than our own personal experience that we can stake our hope. We have scripture, okay, that goes beyond our experience. That's truth regardless of what we feel or think we experience. That the truthfulness of the scriptures is what we stake our hope, is what we anchor our hearts and our souls to. Scripture clearly says that we have the hope that we have in Christ is sure. And it is steadfast, and it's an anchor to our soul. Anchors, as you well know, are heavy objects that we keep way deep down in the water, at the bottom, in order to keep the ship on the surface from being tossed about and being affected adversely by what's happening on the surface. A writer of Hebrew says that our scripture and, and, and that the, the hope that we have in Christ is like an anchor, that we sink it real deep down into our heart. That whatever happens on the external, whatever happens on top of the water, can blow on us, can toss us maybe a little bit, but friends, it'll never sink us. Because Jesus is the sure anchor. Scripture is the sure anchor despite whatever highs or lows are happening on the surface of our life. Immutability, God's unchanging nature, okay? 
um, is impossible, again, obviously, to change. How can one change when they are already absolutely perfect? God's absolute perfection without the need to ever improve is one of the reasons we can trust God's past, present, and future faithfulness. And our 2000 Baptist faith and message, our doctrinal statement of our convention, says this really well, and I'm going to read it to us. It says, the Baptist faith and message puts it well, and it confesses that God is infinite in holiness and all other perfections. I love that. God is powerful and all-knowing, and His perfect knowledge extends to all things, past, present, future, and knowledge of and all other perfection. Jesus is absolutely perfect. So if we can trust His perfection, you can trust Him. You can absolutely trust Him when we read that He is faithful to us in Scripture. Again, God's unchanging character isn't something to be criticized, perhaps as somebody who's unpliable, okay? That God is rigid and, and you know, he just doesn't listen to reason. Like he's got his way and he's just never going to change. I don't think we should look at it like that. I don't look at God as unyielding in a cruel sense, as some might say. Well, if he's, if he's unyielding and if he's unpliable, then that means he's, he's, he's just fixed and it could be cruel in how he applies things. I don't think that's how we should look at it. Instead, God's unyielding uh, nature, his perfection in his immutability, okay? It's a refuge for our heart. We are all over the map sometimes, aren't we? <laughs> we feel high, we feel low, we don't know where to go. And we often look for that sure, sure footing in the middle of our storm. And Jesus is this. Jesus is unchangeable and we can trust and we can hold deeply to this. He's a wellspring of our trust and God's immutability is a sure footing for the hope that we have in Jesus. And by looking to his past behavior, we can know who God is for us and who he will be in the future by, point three, our salvation being secure and not dependent upon our own works. Okay? Let's look at Deuteronomy. Let's look at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. This will be the last point we make this morning. We'll be in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Chapter 7, verse 9, excuse me. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. This will be the last passage we examine this morning. Deuteronomy, Old Testament, chapter 7, verse 9. Moses writes, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by saying, Know therefore that the Lord your God is what? Is God. Okay? That sounds redundant, but it's actually not. We're going to talk about that. He's the faithful God who does what? He keeps covenants and steadfast loves with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. The English reading of, of this verse may sound a little clunky, you know, and, but in Hebrew, it, it has an immediate meaning in context with how they used the, the, the words here. Let's, let's take a look at it, though. It says, the Lord your God is God. So in other words, Yahweh, creator God, is your Elohim, is all-powerful. Okay? It's really putting the, the concept of God, who God is, and what is His relationship to mankind. The Lord, Yahweh, your God, Elohim, is God, period. And that means overall. There is no 
rival to Him. There's no second place to Him. What we understand about God as Yahweh and Elohim is that God is the one who saves. It is God who is the one who is in control. It's God who holds you. And it's not your works that get you there. It's God who keeps you and holds you. When you feel all over the map, it is God who keeps you and holds you. It's Him who sees you through to the end. When you don't think you could ever even see the end, it is God who carries you all the way there by His own power. It's God who first, who is always faithful in His relationship with His people, with His church, and not the other way around. It's God who is always first and initiating and drawing us to Him. God is the one who perfectly, perfectly keeps His covenants. When God keeps His promises, it's not only God showing love to us, put a period on it. It's that, but it's not the end point. It's not just God showing His love for us. It's, it goes even more so to when God keeps His promises, it's a display to the cosmos of God's perfect character in which we are recipients and benefactors and beneficiaries. God is faithful to those who keep His promises, not because we've earned it, but in spite of not earning it. Jesus is the one who gives us to us by His grace. God's love and mercy to us is not a result of God being fair to us, when we say we love Him, as if our salvation is some sort of earned transaction or trade. God's love and mercy toward us is a reflection of His character rooted in His grace and mercy. The result of this type of love, a love not based in merit or earning one's way into God's favor, is the bedrock reason why we can trust God for our salvation. And friends, since God is unchanging and He promises His love and faithfulness to us, and that love and faithfulness is, is not based on personal merit, your goodness or your badness, but on God's mercy alone, then all His promises are sure. Then all His promises are steadfast and loving and kind, and benevolent to you. Because, here's your reason, they are sealed by His perfect character. You are sealed in Him, not because you're just lucky, but because He is good to you, and He loves you in His grace, and in His mercy, because He has perfect character. So when we sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We are not repeating a cute sentiment for children, but a deep truth about the nature of God revealed to us in Scripture and revealed to us through His creation. This is why, as good Southern Baptists, we trust so deeply in the security of the believer that when Jesus has us, He will always have us. That we can never earn or lose our salvation. Our gaining or losing salvation is never a result of works, negative or positive. 
are keeping our salvation for eternity, both in the now to the time you're 190 years old, even into the time when you're 190 billion years old in eternity is never a result of your works, negative or positive. It is God who both saves us and keeps us by His initiative, by His power alone. It's by His perfect death and resurrection by which we are saved. It's by His keeping us moment to moment in Christ, not our own maintenance, that we are kept believing day by day in Christ. Never forget this. Never forget this promise. Never forget that God is immutable and unchanging and neither are His attributes. And it's the hope that we put it on. It's the ground for which we trust Scripture. Never forget this is the reason for the ground of your confidence in the grace and sufficiency of the work of Christ. So when we consider God's faithfulness to us, our footing our anchor is much more solid than a Google search result. It's much more trustworthy than information kept in a database in Silicon Valley. We have the promise of faithfulness that is rooted outside of human effort or performance in the very heart of God's character itself we find in Scripture a God who promises to never leave us, never forsake us. He promises never to be contrary to His character or lie. He never will fail to fulfill His promises. He always secures our eternal salvation by His power and His power alone. So church, friends, when upon life's billows you find yourself tempest-tossed, when you're discouraged thinking all is lost, let's count our blessings and name them one by one. And may it now not be as much of a surprise what the Lord has done. Amen. Let's pray together. And-